Good morning, friends, and welcome. The Lord be with you. My name is Becky. I'm on staff here at Pleasant Street Church, and it's a joy to welcome you to worship this morning. We are all remote today, but it's still good to be united in faith. We are the church, and we are united together. Um, I hope that you're having a good weekend, and now let us join in worship this morning. I invite you to quiet your hearts in a time of prayer. Triune God, you have called us to live in unity with each other and with our brothers and sisters around the world. Help us to sense that our love for Jesus binds us together. May our worship today be a witness to the kind of unity that comes only through Christ our Lord. Amen. I invite you to rise now in body or in spirit and join in our call to worship. The God of creation makes us one in body. Let us join hearts and voices in praise of the Lord. The God of Christ makes us one in the spirit. Let us join hearts and voices in praise of the Lord. Let's join now in singing, We Are One in the Spirit.
We just sang the words that I just love. Let this house proclaim from floor to rafter, all are welcome, all are welcome, all are welcome in this place. But I have to ask, do we truly believe that? Have we truly welcomed everyone in this beautiful building that we call our church? Have we truly been the church that is unified and together? I don't think that we have. So I invite you now to join me in a prayer of confession. God of grace, we grieve that the church which shares one spirit, one faith, one hope, and one calling has become a broken communion in a broken world. The one body spans all time, place, race, and language, but in our fear we have fled from and fought one another, and in our pride we have mistaken our part for the whole. Yet we marvel that you gather the broken pieces to do your work, that you bless us with joy, with growth, and with signs of unity, forgive our sins and help us to commit ourselves to seeking and showing the unity of the body in Christ. In his name, amen. Let's reflect on that in a time of silent confession. Hear these words of assurance. Christ is our peace. Those who are divided, he has made one. He has broken down the barriers of separation by his death and has built us up into one body with God. To all who repent and believe, he has promised reconciliation. So let us live as people reconciled. Amen.
till the likeness of Jesus be through us made known. Let the cross be our glory and the Lord be our song. Friends, it's in that knowledge and in that joy that I can say to you, the peace of Christ be with you. Good morning. My name is Steve Stinson. I'm one of the elders here at Pleasant Street. Uh, in a moment, we're going to bow our heads and, uh, in prayer to our God. I'd like to read you a little something first, if I can. Um, it goes like this. God is good. God is great. Let us thank him for our food. By his hands we are fed. Give us, Lord, our daily bread. <clears throat> Seems pretty childish, doesn't it? But uh, I hope you'll forgive me. I, uh, I thought of it and thought to use it to dig a little deeper, uh, deeper into thoughts of, uh, of gratitude, deeper into thoughts of how our God does provide for us. So if you'll uh, humor me a little bit, um, we're going to go ahead and, and uh, bow our heads and go to prayer to our Heavenly Father. Please bow your heads. Our God in heaven, we know that you are good. We know this to be true. This word good is a word that you used in your, in your word in Genesis. When you looked over your creation and you said that it is good. Great. We know too for you to be a, such a great God. We see it every day in the cycles of nature, the extraordinary depths of creation, things that are inexplicable to us. Also examples that are pointed out in your word, things that jump right out at us as, as uh, exhibiting your, your greatness and your might. We say, let us thank him for our food. Let us thank him for our church. Let us thank him for our families. We know, Lord, we could go on and on. By your hands we are fed. By your hands we are, we are provided for, we are nurtured, we are cared for by you and your goodness. This weekend, Father, we, we, uh, we celebrate our Labor Day. Tomorrow is Labor Day. And we are grateful for work. We are grateful for what you've given us in this work for satisfaction, work to provide, work to stimulate and motivate. You allow us to have some skin in the game, to work for our homes and our families, to labor in your kingdom, to labor in this body here at Pleasant Street. We pray for your blessings on the, on the labors that take place here, that take place in the, uh, the Fairlawn Church and New England Chapel, in places we know where we have family and friends that we love dearly and, and we pray uh, would be strongholds for you. We pray for growth in home mission churches for the churches we're aware of in East Boston, the Resurrection Church and the Worcester Church, the city of Emmaus. We pray that uh, 
they would be influential and strong in, in providing others with your word and your promises. We ask for growth and faith across the globe with the missions we have abroad, work being done for you. We pray that we could be like, be like yeast and dough, expanding and permeating the world for your kingdom. We pray for those in our church family, Father, who have suffered loss. We pray that you'd be with uh, Matthew and Julie Davison after the passing of Matthew's mother, Hilda. We pray that you'd touch them, continue to comfort them, and also with the uh, Hump Osterman family, all of those that would be touched by the passing of Hump, we pray for, for comfort, for peace. We pray for those in our church family who suffer infirmity. We pray that you'd be with Alice Cook. She needs your care, Father, your touch. We pray that you'd provide healing and comfort. We pray too for some who will go unnamed, <clears throat> known to you, Lord. One of our sisters who's had surgery uh, to remove cancer She's recovering at home. You have been merciful. We ask and, and pray that uh, she would be in your hands. She would be in your care for healing, strength, and comfort. One brother among us uh, suffers extreme anxiety, crippling, causes powerlessness, causes uh, him and others to feel as though they don't matter, they don't count. We pray that you would prove this otherwise, Lord. We pray that you'd grant peace, your strength, assurance of their place in your kingdom. Please provide uh, safety and perfection, pr protection for all of those most vulnerable in our midst, for those of age in our congregation and and not only here, but at the uh, Whitensville Retirement Home and Apartments, and for our children in the Whitensville Christian School and local schools. Please provide uh, safety in regard to the current uh, COVID-19 pandemic. We ask, too, that you'd provide wisdom and protection to uh, all of those who would be orchestrating the, the uh, opening of the schools along with other activities that are taking place now as we gear up for midweek programs here at the church. Please provide us with creative solutions to overcome the difficulties that are caused by this, this situation. Through it all, Father, we pray you'd use us. Use us, Lord, that we could be the salt of the earth for you. Use us to encourage others, to compliment others, to show kindness, to show a sincere witness for you. We thank you, Lord, for, uh, for Pastor Ron. Bless him this morning with uh, the words to say and as he encourages us in the unity of the church, your church. In the name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen.
Today I'll be reading Matthew 8, verses 15 through 17. She touched her hand, and the fever left her. Then she got up and began to wait on him. When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove the spirit with the word and healed all the sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and our diseases. Now, I'll be reading Matthew 18, verses 21 through 35. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him ten thousand bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he, his wife, and his children, and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him to be patient with me, and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off, had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brothers or sisters from your heart. This next reading is from James 1, verses 19 through 26. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. This is the word of the Lord, brothers and sisters. Hi there. Um, this is Ron, up here in the balcony. Don't tell my mom. I'm not sure I'm supposed to be up here. Um, but it's... Friday and nobody else is around and um, we're here. Don't tell anybody. Um, there's something kind of cool about being in the balcony, in the sanctuary, you know, of a church when nobody's around. I know Catholics have patterns where you have certain open hours you can come and meditate or pray over candles or whatever. Um, 
during business hours, as it were. That's a cool thing that we Protestants haven't ever really done much. Um, but uh, as growing up as a preacher's kid, I learned to discover that it was kind of cool to be in church when very few other people were. Everything smelled different. Um, less ladies' perfume that you have by Sunday noon and uh, more furniture polish or um, copy machine toner or whatever. Um, the church has always been my family business. That's not why I work as a pastor. I work as a pastor because God turned me back around and told me, don't turn your back on the church. That's a different story. Um, but nonetheless, um, the church has always been my family business. And so for um, a half century plus, um, the church has been my home. I've lived next door to a church in one state or another. My family and I did. Uh, my boys, my wife and I have. Um, it's sort of what we do. And so uh, that's important for you to know with this morning's message. Um, what I also want to tell you about is that I, I learned living next door to churches. I learned that there's something kind of cool about seeing a church behind the scenes in a way that you won't see it on Sunday morning with everybody there. For instance, um, when you see church like this, most people don't spend a lot of time up in the balcony. And on Labor Day weekend, there's nobody else around. Everybody's off laboring or whatever they do. And so um, when you're in church, when nobody else is, you notice things you didn't notice. Um, you might not have noticed before. Um, you notice smells. It's less like ladies' perfume or coffee and more like furniture polish or um, old building smells, etc. Um, that's a whole different thing. Um, so uh, you notice things behind the scenes. I would suggest, here's a little bit of homework for next week for you. Um, if you come and worship in this building next Sunday um, in September, sit in a different part of the sanctuary than you usually do just to see it different. Not like, oh, I'm four feet over. But uh, if you usually sit way over there, then sit way over by the organ. If you usually sit in front by the organ, sit way in back towards the choir loft. Um, Find something that takes you out of your comfort zone. I know it's going to feel weird, and it's still the same church. It's not like you're going to discover that you end up in Georgia or something. But nonetheless, you'll discover just how differently the same things look when you look at them differently. That's really important to have, to be able to be church well in the way that God calls us to. Okay, so what I want to look at with you here today as we head further into our Together series looking at the church as a family. What I want to look at with you is um, what I want to look at with you is conflict and how, how rocky things can be in a church. I remember a woman talking to me once some years ago. Um, she was considering a part-time position in the church I was a pastor pastor of and she said oh i just i just love the idea of working in a church um every other job i've had there's so much conflict and people are, are kind of mean and nasty and snippy and it doesn't feel safe and i just want to spend all week in a church it just sounds wonderful 
I just kind of smiled at her. Uh, I still remember that conversation. Um, and so sometimes that's how people look at the church is different than how it really is. Um, there's a joke that was told about a, uh, a castaway and an abandoned, a deserted um, South Pacific island. So this man is on this, like Tom Hanks castaway. He's all by himself on this island. He builds himself a hut that's his home. He builds another hut right next door to his home and uh, puts a cross at the top of that hut. And that's his church. Um, by the time the rescuers found him some years later, um, he was no longer meeting in that church building. And instead, he, was, he had built a third building on the other side of the island. And he rescues asked him about that. And he says, well, that's, that's where I go to church now. Things happen in churches sometimes that can leave us feeling abandoned by our churches or can lead us to abandon our churches. And even if your church is one of only two buildings on your own particular island, it's not simple to be church. And we're going to look at that this morning. We emphasize the importance of being open and honest with God, with each other, within the church. That's, that's a big part of what it takes for church to exist as a community well, a church family. If we're not being honest with each other, we can't trust each other. If we can't trust each other, we can't share grace with each other. Um, honesty is really important. I can't recall act flat out lying to anybody as a pastor. And I can't recall the last time that anyone else flat out lied to me as their pastor. That's not a common thing, thankfully. Having said that, I'm not sure that it follows from that, that we're always completely honest or open with each other. We may tell the third, first three quarters of the truth, but the last, the tough part at the end isn't there. In churches, this makes things tricky. There's certain things in um, in a family that you learn you just shouldn't talk about. Certain issues come up, political issues, financial issues, relationships, talking about your mom's ex, talking about whatever. Um, that's a little bit too touchy. Don't go there. And so you just chat. Or uh, certain issues that uh, you don't really want to talk about in a council room because not everybody is going to see these things the same way. Or uh, certain things that you don't want to bring up in a sermon as a pastor because while some people will cheer you on, other people will cheer against you. And uh, you can get an awful lot of trouble just by having raised a topic that everybody else would just kind of wish was gone. It's very tricky to be church, honestly, together. Let me give us a little different way of thinking about just how divisiveness or unrest can happen in a church and how it can, can damage a church family and spread through a church family, even when people don't want divisions. Um, <clears throat> so picture it this way. Um, instead of looking at your, ourselves just as individuals, like I'm Ron on Sundays, I maybe sit right here um, prior to the service starting or just before I go up and preach. So I'm Ron, this is where I sit. Um, <clears throat> and maybe you sit somewhere else, wherever your seat is. Um, instead of thinking just in terms of ourselves, this is where you usually sit. Think of it as how we all affect each other. For instance, let me give you a three letter 
scenario, a formula that can help us understand how division works. Um, division happens when one person, person A, let's say that's my nickname, um, person A ends up frustrated with something somebody else is doing. And so person A has a problem with person B. These are theological terms here. Person A has a problem with person B. So now uh, person B is that maybe per person B knows nothing of it. Um, or maybe they do. Maybe they're just really a stinker about something. Um, person B has done something that bothers person A. And so person A has to do figure out what to do with it. Now, spoiler alert, what the Bible says is that person A should talk to person B about that. And now that conversation, as the New Testament pictures, it would go something like this. Person A comes over to person B and says, hey, person B, we got a problem. When you do this, I end up really frustrated. I'm angry, I'm, I'm angry at you for what you are bringing into my life or how you affect my life. And, I'm, and so I, we're not, I'm not friends with you right now. We gotta fix that. So person A and person B are supposed to talk about it until they have reconciliation. There's all sorts of stuff in the New Testament about that. However, and so there's a however, that, that's the key part of this. Um, <coughs> there's a lot of reasons why it's not very much fun or it's not very easy for person A and person B to talk about difficult stuff together. And so usually we try to avoid those sorts of things. And so usually we'll find somebody else, say maybe with a nickname of person C, to talk to. And so what happens is that person A over here, person A is frustrated with person B, but I, I don't want to go talk to person. I mean, they'll just get upset. It'll make them feel bad or they'll cry or they'll, they'll, they'll throw something or they'll whatever. Or, or they're my boss or they're my coworker or I married her or whatever. And so I can't do that, but I got to tell somebody because I'm frustrated. So person A talks to person C somewhere else who soon shares the concern. Now, if your person... If you're person A, this is kind of understandable. Like, um, yeah, I'm frustrated. I need to talk to somebody. And so, I mean, everybody gets frustrated with somebody over something, right? Person A, that's, that's pretty understandable. What is this like for person B? Person B, you didn't plan on probably going out to make somebody, make person A mad. It wasn't like I was trying to really get... Um, get at person A. And so if you're person B, it's like, oh man, I'm, I'm in trouble now. I don't like that. And in fact, I, I feel like I'm a bad person because person A seems to think I'm a bad person. And so I resent that person A is lobbing all this guilt at me. And so if you're person B, that kind of stinks because, well, you didn't wake up that morning thinking, I'm going to go bother person A today. Or maybe you did, and then in which case, shame on you. But for most of us, it doesn't happen that way. It's not like, oh, I want to set out and see what I can do to make person A so miserable. It just kind of happens in a fallen world. What about person C, the other end of it? Person C has a difficult spot in this all because person C usually, person C may not have set out to get involved in any of this 
either, any more than person B or person A. Person C may just have been the one that so-and-so was frustrated with about something they talked to me and I, I was a good listener. And so person C may be nothing more than just a compassionate listener, which is certainly not a bad thing, right? So thanks for hanging out with me here in this empty church on Labor Day weekend. As we said at the very beginning, it's amazing sometimes what you can see about church when you don't have all the people there. It opens things up that might have been hidden before. What I hope you see when you look at this church is a group of people who care deeply about being church. Church, is ma church matters to the people who find their church home here. Um, and that's a really good, that's a holy thing. It's not just a place they visit, not, these are not just events they attend. This is a group of people they belong to. This is a family, an extended family. And it's the extended familyness that makes this church what it is. Furthermore, this is a church that's vulnerable. There are so many forces at work in the world of this church. And those forces are at work and, and spiritual forces, but also just changes in economies or, or communities or populations. So many forces at work that make it very easy for this church to begin to unravel or fall apart. And, and that needs to be faced also. And the leaders of this church need to think very, uh, very intentionally about how do we position this church so that 10 years from now, 12 years from now, 15 years from now, this church is still strong, not just the building, but the church as, a, as an extended family is still strong and healthy. And this is your church. The fact that you're hearing my words says to me that you, you look at this as not just a church or a good church, but your church. What is your part in this church? Let me ask it this way. Are you an A? Fairly innocent, maybe a little naive. Um, you're not looking to cause problems. Sure, nothing's perfect and things bother you sometimes, but uh, you're just person A. Um, we talked about you a minute ago. Maybe you're person B. Um, there are things you do that people find irritating or find distracting. Sometimes you hear complaints about it, but hey, nobody's perfect and you can't please everybody. And so you just go on being person B. Maybe you're person C, as in um, somebody who has a problem with somebody else doesn't have the courage or the boldness or the whatever good manners to talk to them about it. So they talk to you. Maybe you get duped into being a person C. Your good friend voices her concerns to you or he voices his frustrations about a boss or somebody else at church or a neighbor or one of your kids or your parents or whatever. And so you get caught up in somebody else's drama. It's not your fault when you're not trying. Okay, maybe you get caught up in being a person C. If, if we're only thinking in terms of just you and your part, most of us would be innocent. But because there are so many ways in which A's and B's are affected with C's, um, we get caught up in this all, in so many ways we get caught up in this by accident. We, we never intend to be part of something divisive, but what happens is 
that just comes up in conversations of what are you going to do? You're not going to walk away from somebody. You're not going to shut them down when you hear them complaining and starting to get, getting critical about this or that or that. And so we don't intend to be part of something divisive, yet somehow these divisive things happen. A has a problem with B, but doesn't talk to B, talks to C. And maybe you're a C who just plain gets stuck in it. But every time that happens, the church begins to fracture. And if, perish the thought, if, if several years from now, several decades from now, this church is not, it would be because of these fractures that, that were tolerated and were never fixed. On the other hand, if several years from now, this church is more powerful and has a greater impact than it has ever had in the past, it would be because the people in this church A's, B's, and C's have learned to do church together in a way that allowed his kingdom to come. Uh, somebody I know from scripture put it this way, work this out, folks. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling because it's God who works to will and to work for his good purpose. That's my wish for Pleasant Street.
where the Apostle Paul puts it this way. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God who works to will and to work according to his good purpose.